Well, this morning we are continuing our series on the church as a community of grace. And we are rounding the corner towards the end of this series. We're going to wrap it up next week by celebrating communion together and focusing on what it really means to gather together as a community around Christ's table. But this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live lives that are empowered by God's grace. Over the last few months, really, we've been focusing on the ways that grace covers for our sin and uh, meets us in our weaknesses and kind of makes up for our shortcomings, right? We talked about forgiveness, about this reality that as followers of Jesus, that we are forgiven. We are people who have been forgiven. This is central to who we are, and we're called to live in the freedom of that forgiveness and to be people who extend forgiveness to others in radical ways. We've talked about what grace means in those situations we face where we feel like we're inadequate, where we feel like we don't have enough or like we aren't enough. And the invitation of Christ and how it's really just to take what we have to bring it to Jesus and to let Jesus do what only he can do. Because we serve a God who has the infinite resources of heaven at his fingertips, and he loves to use the little bit that we're able to offer him and to use it to do so much more than we could ever imagine on our own. We talked about how God's grace knocks down the walls that divide us and how it invites each one of us, regardless of where we're from or who we are, to come to be part of God's family and to live together in unity, even in the midst of all of our differences. We talked about how God's grace frees us to be honest about our struggles and to invite Jesus into those places of our lives that we often try to hide so that he can heal us and move us forward. But there's another aspect of grace that we haven't really focused on too much yet. In scripture, grace isn't just something that makes up for our weaknesses and our shortcomings. It's also what empowers us to live the kinds of lives that God calls us to live as people who are experiencing and extending his kingdom in our broken world. Anne Lamott says, grace meets us where we are, but it does not leave us where it found us. And we've looked at Dallas Willard's definition of grace. He says, grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you can't accomplish on your own. Grace isn't just about us getting off the hook for our sin. It's not an excuse to just do whatever we want or to be kind of apathetic in our faith. Instead, there's a whole new way of life that God invites us into, and we don't have what it takes to live that out on our own strength. And so we're dependent on God's grace to transform us and to work in us and through us as we go about our day-to-day lives, seeking to follow Jesus. 
Jesus said it this way to his followers. We just read this passage. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. This is a passage we've been coming back to, so it's probably going to sound familiar. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't that interesting? Paul says salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done. We can't earn it. We can't take credit for it. We can't boast about it. It's a gift. And so he says... Because we've been given this gift of salvation, because the Spirit is working in us and making us new, we're free to do the good things that God designed for us to do. Grace empowers us to be the kinds of people that God designed us to be and to live the kinds of lives that God designed us to live. It empowers us to live lives that are filled with meaning and with purpose as we participate in what God's doing in the world and we let him use us to reflect his love to others. So what does this look like? And what does it look like specifically in the world we're living in today where there's so much conflict and hopelessness and weariness, not just in the world even, but also in the church. When I was a teenager, I remember going to a big Christian event, one of those events at a stadium, and before the bands would get up to play, there would be advertisements for things like Bible colleges and mission trips, and these advertisements were rockin'. I mean, like, if you had no experience with Christianity, if you didn't know what it was about, aside from what you'd seen in these promotional videos, you would think the whole thing was all about, like, jumping off of cliffs and laughing with friends and, like, smiling while you take notes and sit in really engaging lectures and uh, heroically helping people in need, right? Some of you have probably seen these kinds of videos, And these are all great things, right? We're called to community. We're called to continue learning and growing and serving. We're even called to adventure. But what was missing in my early understanding of Christianity was what it looks like to live faithfully even when things get tough. For example, when a global pandemic turns the world upside down. Or when you get a health diagnosis that means you can't do the things you used to do. Or when you get knocked down by challenges with mental health and you don't have the capacity you once had to be there for other people. Or when your family falls apart and you don't know how to fix it. Those things don't make good advertisements, do they? 
but they're the kinds of things that we deal with in our real lives. And it's important that we name that, I think, because we are in a season that's been filled with lots of struggles and loss and challenges for people. And when we only really know what faith looks like when things are going well, when things are good, it can be hard to detect the ways that God's grace is moving when things are tough. But God is just as present and just as active and powerful in our lives when we go through those difficult seasons, even though it looks different. I talk a lot about my my nephew, Ethan, and some of you know Ethan, uh, but he's one of those kids who has had a lot of struggles to get through from the very beginning of his life. He had a rocky start. Medically, he's had some serious health struggles along the way over the course of his seven years of life. He's had some difficult family dynamics to navigate. And after he was born, I looked up uh, the meaning of Ethan's name on the internet, just out of curiosity, really, to see what it was. And it turns out that the name Ethan means strong. Isn't that cool? And so I thought that was such a God thing that this was the name he was given, like in light of the challenges that he had to overcome. And so for his entire life, I've really been trying to like speak this into him. As soon as he learned to talk, I'd say to him, what does Ethan mean? You know, what does your name mean? And I'd have him recite back to me. He learned to say, Ethan means strong. And I'd be like, yeah, that's right, buddy. You're strong. That's who you are. That's why we call you Ethan. But a couple of weeks ago, Ethan uh, had a really bad ear infection, like really bad. He was very sick. He had to go to the hospital, and he was in the hospital for about a week. And uh, when he was there, they asked him to squeeze his hand into a fist, and he couldn't do it. And this caused an identity crisis for Ethan. This was a big problem for him. He was like really upset because he's supposed to be strong, and there he was, not even able to clench his hand into a fist. And so we had to have some conversations with him to explain that sometimes we don't feel strong, but that doesn't change who we are. Sometimes strength doesn't look like being able to do cool things and you know, make it all the way across the monkey bars. Sometimes being strong means not giving up. Sometimes being strong means doing things even when we're scared. Sometimes strength is really an inner strength that gives us the ability to get through difficult things. That same character quality, the same aspect of our identity shows up in different ways in different seasons of our lives. And the same thing is true as we live out our faith. Whether we're in seasons where things are going really well or where things are really hard, God's grace is moving in our lives and his spirit empowers us to be the people he's calling us to be in that situation and to live the way he's calling us to live in that specific moment. We find our identity and our calling in him and he calls us his children. And we're able to live through the ups and downs of our lives out of that truth. Sometimes we have a lot to give, and sometimes we only have a little bit to give. But we can live out of a posture of generosity 
regardless of what our resources are looking like at any given moment. Sometimes faith looks like giving up everything that feels safe and familiar because we sense God leading us in a new direction in our lives. And sometimes faith just looks like getting to the end of the day, holding on to trust and hope that God is good and that he's with us even though things feel difficult. So regardless of where you're at this morning, whether things have been going well or whether you've been struggling, whether you feel like you've got a lot to give or you feel like you've been just running on fumes, the invitation to live a grace-empowered life is for you, today. A life that's empowered by God's grace is really just a life that's open and attentive to God's presence and activity inside of us. And that really doesn't change with the seasons. And this morning, we're going to talk about what that looks like, about what it looks like when grace transforms us into people who are reflecting God's kingdom in our own lives and in the church and in the world. So let's start here. How does grace take shape in our own lives? What's the first thing that you usually ask somebody when you meet them? If you're like out at like a cocktail party or like church, you know, just meeting somebody for the first time, what's the first thing you usually ask them? So I have maybe their name, but then what do you do? Right? This is always where we start when we're getting to know people. What do you do? We live in a world that's obsessed with what we do. In terms of our jobs, a lot of us find our identity and our value and what we do as our careers, but also just in terms of how we're performing in the rest of our lives. Often it feels like there's kind of like this unspoken rating system that the world has that determines who has value and who doesn't. And we're always kind of comparing ourselves to others on that scale to see how we measure up, right? We worry about where we fall in terms of our financial situation. Who has the biggest house? Who has the newest car? We worry about how well-behaved our children are compared to the other children in their class. We worry about who's in the best shape and who has the most active social life. In our society, most of us find our identity and our value in the things we have, the things we do, and what other people think about us. And the impact of that is evident all over the place in our society, in the anxiety, in the fear of failure, in the insecurity, in the conflict that comes out of trying to push our way to the top all of the time to get what we want. But grace frees us from all of that. God is much more concerned with who we are than he is with what we do. Because when we get that piece right, when we really have our identity figured out, what we do just naturally flows out of that. And what does God say about who we are? What does God say about who you are? Think about that. Let's look at Romans 8, 15. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The most foundational aspect of your identity is that you are a child of God. You have been adopted into God's family and his spirit lives in you and reminds you who you really are. There's an incredible peace that comes when we stop looking to everyone else to tell us, tell us who we are and we start resting in the truth that we are children of God, that God calls us beloved. And that is the truest thing about you. Just let that sink in for a minute. That is the truest thing about you. There's a breath prayer that we've done before, and if you're going about your week and you need to kind of center yourself in this truth, it's a really good way to just kind of pull yourself back into this reality, and it's called the beloved prayer. Are you guys familiar with it? Do you remember this? It works like this. You just take a deep breath in, and you say, be. And as you're breathing in, be. Just focus on the reality that, you know, it's God is concerned with who you are. It's not about what you do. And then you exhale and focus on the word loved. And just let yourself be reminded that the most central part of your identity is that you are loved by the God who calls you his child. So let's do that now. This is impromptu. It's not in my notes. I'm getting wild. Okay. Take a deep breath in and say, be. And exhale and say, loved. One more time, breathe in the word be. And just exhale the word loved. This is who you are. You can keep breathing. Ah. <laughs> You're welcome. Per permission, permission granted to continue breathing. <laughs> in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul talks about the character qualities that take shape in our lives when we find our identity in Christ and when the Holy Spirit starts to transform us from the inside out. Galatians 5, to 23 says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now notice, Paul doesn't write down a list of achievements here. He doesn't say the fruit of the spirit is uh, successful careers, or financial stability, or good fashion sense, or a high IQ. He's not worried about the things that the world looks to in order to define success. What he describes are character qualities that God produces inside of us. And throughout our lives, our careers will change. Our hobbies will change. Our family dynamics will change. Right? Our lives will continue to change as we go through different seasons and as we age. But regardless of where we're at or what we're doing, a grace-empowered life is a life that's characterized by these qualities. 
And the first one he talks about is love. Love. Jesus taught us that the two greatest commandments are to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The book of 1 John tells us that God is love, that this is just who he is. It's central to his essence. Listen to 1 John 4 verses 7 to 8. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is the defining feature of life in the kingdom of God. We can accomplish all kinds of impressive things in the eyes of the world, but in the kingdom of God, the litmus test of what really matters is always love. And then Paul talks about joy. Now, if you were to do like a random survey and ask a bunch of people what they think Christians are kind of called to, how they're called to live, I don't know that joy would make many people's lists. And in our culture, joy is actually pretty countercultural, isn't it? I mean, we're good at pleasure. We try to find a lot of ways to chase after happiness. But that deeper sense of joy that endures even through the darkest situations is hard to find. And Paul says, this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit cultivates us as we open up our lives to him. Bob Goff says, figure out what fuels your joy and then do lots of that. You can consider that like your homework assignment, okay, for this week. Figure out what fuels your joy and then do lots of that. The next thing that Paul talks about is peace. There is a peace that comes when we can rest in the reality that we are loved by a God who's with us and a God that we can trust. God's spirit produces peace within us and peace between us, right? We've talked about that as we surrender our lives to him. The next one's patience. Patience, ugh. This is a hard one in our culture, right? In our culture where we're so used to things like high-speed internet, like when I was a teenager, kids, it was dial-up, you know? We've got Amazon Prime. We're used to getting like our mail the next day, right? We've got fast food. We like to get things quick. We like efficiency. But God is patient. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God is patient with me. God's patient with us, and he transforms us into people who are patient with others, who don't get angry easily, who aren't easily offended, who accept others as they are, who don't try to force their own way all the time. And then he talks about kindness. And kindness is one of those things that we're really good at teaching to our children, you know, we've got like a daycare here at Evergreen, and I always hear the teachers uh, giving their kids, their uh, classrooms, these reminders. Be gentle. Use kind words. Right? Don't bite your friends. Share your toys. We're really good at calling kindness out of our children. 
but it's not always something that we put a really high value on as we grow into adulthood. Sometimes our need to be right or our need to be efficient or our entitlement can get in the way of our kindness. There's a quote that I've seen kind of floating around on the internet and it says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And in our culture where we put so much emphasis on our achievements, on what we do, that's really good advice. Kindness isn't something that we're supposed to grow out of as we become adults. It's a quality that God wants to continue to grow in us as we draw closer and closer to him. And then goodness. Goodness, God is good. He always does what's right. He always does what's in the best interest of others. And he transforms us into people who care more about doing what's right than doing what's convenient or doing what's comfortable or doing what's going to get us uh, what we want. The next thing Paul talks about is faithfulness being trustworthy and loyal to God and to others because we have a God who's faithful and trustworthy with us. And then gentleness. Gentleness is uh, one of those character traits that sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap in our culture. It can be mistaken for like weakness, right? Or wimpiness. But one of the commentaries that I was looking at defined gentleness as power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions. You know this. It can take an incredible amount of strength to be kind to somebody when they're pressing all of your buttons, can't it? And it can be a really courageous thing to be gentle in a world that's so obsessed with flexing power and putting people in their place. God is gentle and he transform us by the power of his spirit to be people who have the inner strength to be gentle with others. And the last character quality that Paul describes here is self-control. God's spirit changes us from the inside out so that we become people who love the things that he loves and care about the things that he cares about. And we no longer feel compelled to chase after every single selfish impulse that we have. The Spirit empowers us with self-control so that we can really actually live this stuff out in real life. Now, Paul describes these qualities as fruit. And I don't know like a ton about agriculture, but I do know this. I've never seen an apple tree push. Fruit trees don't produce fruit by like trying really hard and like squeezing and pushing and trying to work it up in themselves and make it happen, right? Apple trees produce apples because they're apple trees. And as long as they're getting what they need, as long as they're rooted in good soil and exposed to the sun and getting enough water, the fruit just grows, And when we open ourselves up to God's presence, when we let the Holy Spirit move in our lives and live in response to the Spirit's nudging and call, God restores us and renews us into his image. It's fruit. By his grace, God transforms us into people 
who reflect his character as we live in intimacy with him. And we just kind of like inhale and exhale his love and his goodness to the people around us. So now let's look at the church. As followers of Jesus, we don't do life on our own. It's actually impossible. It's impossible to live out our Christian faith independently, which is really pretty countercultural because in the West, we're really influenced by individualism. This shapes a lot of uh, how we look at the world. But we have a relational God, and He designed us to live as a community with one another. Part of what it means to be a child of God means being adopted into God's family. And the church is called to be the group of people who represent God's love and his presence within our world. Now, elephant in the room, right? The church doesn't always do this well. And we could talk about all kinds of different reasons why that might be the case. The most obvious one is that the church is made up of human beings, and human beings are messy and sinful, and when you get a bunch of us into one room, it's only a matter of time <laughs> before problems start to, uh, to start to rise. We live in a time and a place where the church has been in a position of power for a long time, and power can be a really dangerous thing. Jesus was God incarnate, right? But he never used his power for his own benefit. He always laid it down for the sake of others. And the church and the church, church's leaders haven't always followed uh, his example in that. And so that's, that's led to some really horrible situations throughout history. In our culture, the church has been really influenced by consumerism. And right? we've talked about that quite a bit here at Evergreen. It's easy to go to church in the same way that we just go to a show. Like you can kind of sit back and you can take it in and then you can go on to Google afterwards. You can leave a review, right? What do you like? What you didn't like? Was the coffee good? Was the, was the music good? And when church becomes all about getting the goods and services, the religious goods and services that we want, and when the church measures its success based on the metrics that the world uses, things like popularity and wealth, it's easy to see how things can sometimes go very wrong. And for all of these reasons and more, they have, right? We know this. And there's times where structures need to change and there's, there's times where people need to be held accountable. So these are things we need to work through within the church. But when things go wrong, rather than giving up on the church, there's an opportunity and really there's a call to recenter ourselves around Christ. To kind of focus again on, you know, who we really are, who we're called to be, and to start to live into that. Because the church is still called to be the people that reflect God's love and presence into the world. Being part of a community that worships together and grows together and learns together and serves together and prays together is part of what it means to live out our faith as followers of Jesus. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for the church to live as a community of people who are empowered by God's grace? Well, first of all, simply this. We're called to be a community 
that's embodying the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Those qualities that we just talked about, they're not just things that are uh, supposed to grow in each of us individually. They're qualities that come to define our entire community as we follow Jesus and we start to live this out and embody this together. But there's more. Throughout the New Testament, Paul describes the church using the metaphor of a human body. And he says, just as your body has many parts that work together, the church is a community of people who God has gifted in unique ways so that we can work together to fulfill God's purposes. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Let's look at Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Isn't that beautiful? We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. God has made each one of us unique. He's given us different strengths, different interests, different personalities. And he's given us each gifts that his spirit empowers us to use to do things through us that we could never do on our own strength. And just as the human body is alive and well, when each part is healthy and serving its proper function, the church is healthy and flourishing when each and every person is leaning in and using their unique gifts to build up the rest of the body. So how has God gifted you? Maybe you're an encourager. And maybe God's calling you to be one of the voices that's building people up in this season where a lot of people are feeling torn down. If that's you, encourage. That's what Paul says, right? Maybe God's gifted you to support uh, people who are in need. And maybe there are some people in our church family that you know could use some practical help and God's nudging you to reach out towards that. Maybe you're gifted in leadership or maybe you're gifted uh, as a teacher or maybe you're gifted with toddlers and God's calling you to to help in the toddler room. (laughs) Positions available. Whatever it is for you, the call and the invitation is to use the gifts that God has given us to build up the church. And maybe that's not what the 2019 version of you used to do. And maybe it's not what God's going to have you do down the road. If right now you're in a season where you kind of need to heal and recover before you dive into too much, that's okay. But how is God calling you to use your gifts right now? Maybe in ways that might seem small, but that God can use to make a big difference. We had a sermon on that, right? He loves to take the bit that we're able to give and to, to use it to do so much more than we could do on our own strength. 
The church will come alive and reflect God's presence into the world when we're all using the gifts that God has given us by his grace to serve one another and to serve our community. And lastly, what does it look like to live a life that's empowered by God's grace in our day-to-day lives as we uh, just live and work in the world? God calls each one of us to represent his love and his presence everywhere we go, right? So that people can experience his grace and come to know him through us. And that means embodying the fruit of the spirit. And it means using our gifts to serve others. But it also means keeping our eyes open for the ways that God's moving in the people and in the situations around us. It's so easy to just go to work or to go wherever we spend our time and to go through the motions, you know, and to forget that God's there, that God's working in you and he's working in the lives of the people around you. And he's always present, he's always active, and he invites you to participate in the good work that he's doing to bring about his healing and his restoration in the world. God doesn't just want to use you at church. And he's not waiting. He's not waiting to use you uh, for another season when you have more time or when your kids grow up or when you get a different job. He doesn't stop using you when you retire. God is on the move. And we're living in a broken world. And we're invited by God's grace to join him and extending his kingdom to people everywhere we go. I really like to run. Some of you guys know that. I like to run, especially if it's like above 20 degrees. I'm kind of a fair weather runner. And one of my favorite things about running in Norfolk County is that the route that I go on, uh, it goes through the country uh, by all kinds of fields. And in the beginning of the season, I'll go out and everything will be just totally dead. But as we move into spring and summer, like everything starts to come to life. And I just find it so cool to watch everything kind of grow and fill out. And a few weeks ago, I went for um, my first run of the season. And as running, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, how difficult things have been and how, like, the world has been feeling so dark. And I, I ran by a cornfield, my favorite cornfield <laughs> on my run. <laughs> and uh, it was just full of old, dead corn stalks that have just kind of been mowed over, I guess, at the end of uh, last year. And I was looking at it, thinking about how bad it looked, (laughs) how dead it was. And uh, as I was looking at it, I sensed God saying to me, Tamil, do you think that the farmer is going to leave the field like this? Just hit me. Do you think that the farmer is going to leave the field like this? And suddenly I was just kind of like overwhelmed with a sense of hope. Because the answer, of course, is no. And it was this reminder that God is still active and moving, bringing new life, bringing dead things back to life. That's what God does. He brings things back to life. And this season has been a difficult season. But God is still active and moving, bringing about his new life. And you know what? went for a run last week, and there's already new sprouts springing up out of the dirt. And whether you can feel it right now or not, God is moving in you and through you to bring about his healing 
and his wholeness. A grace-empowered life is a life that's surrendered to him and that's open to what he wants to do in us and through us. It's only in Christ that we can find our identity and our purpose, and it's by the power of his grace that he enables us to actually live it out. I'm going to close this morning with Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 from the message. Paul says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. May we be people whose lives are transformed by God's grace. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you uh, that you are here, that you're present. God, we thank you that your spirit is working in us. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be people who are attentive to the ways you're working in our lives and the ways you're working in the lives of the people around us. God, where we've been distant, I pray that you would draw us close. God, where we've experienced doubt, I pray that you would give us a sense of renewed faith. God, where we felt uh, hopelessness, I pray, God, that you would renew us with a sense of hope and joy in you and an awareness of your love. Uh, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so trustworthy. And uh, your purposes for us in our lives and as a church, God, are, are beautiful. And I pray that you would help us to be a community that really lives into them as we trust in you and let you do what only you can do inside of us and through us. In your name we pray, amen.